When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mookie Ghana-Harrington, joined from the lovely state of Minnesota. Is me. <laughs> joined... From the excellent and somewhat warm state of New York, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? It's humid. It's in the 90s today. It might have hit 100. I don't know. I haven't really been conscious for most of today, but it, but I'm here. And uh, we're going to talk about New Japan. We're going to talk about Harold May, the New Japan president, and the dreams he has for New Japan. WWE has formalized their TV deals, and... Um, Maybe you should Google people before you book, book them. We'll discuss that. Got some graphs for you. We got a lot of plugs for our uh, premium show because we did some really cool stuff this week. And uh, as always, we are excited to hear about Brandon's wrestling exploits. Brandon, I understand you were at a show last night. I was. There was the ESW show last night here in North Tonawanda, New York. Uh, I wrestled in a tag match uh, with Casey Spinelli against Big Jack... I don't know if he's using Cunningham or Stevens, but Big Jack and Kate Carney. And uh, it was a good match. The The show was really good itself, too. The, the crowd reactions were bigger and more super indie-like than they've ever been at an ESW show or in the uh, the, the, the storied halls of St. Johnsburg Fire Hall. Uh, but in, in my match, uh, Big Jack's shoulder got dislocated about midway through, and... Uh, but uh, he, he uh, gutted it out, but I did end up submitting him in the end. So Good. Good. Yeah. I was going to say, you're on a hot streak right now, um, as far as I can tell. Yeah? Uh, last what last four or five that? times I've asked you. You've, you've oh, because I win? Yeah. yeah. And, if you're, and if your opponent gets injured during the match, I would especially hope you'd win the match. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously, yes. he has an injury. And yes. if, if you're losing in those circumstances, then you should really be yeah. rethinking your training time, thinking about what tapes you're watching, etc. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Vader, but uh, if I didn't win those matches, you would almost think that professional wrestling is not a legitimate sporting contest. 
So the the fourth person in that tag match, did you say Kate? Like K K A T E? Yes. It was this was like was it? it was kind of a mixed tag match, kind of an intergender I guess it was an intergender tag match. Wow. So you're once again flaunting New York State authority rules. There is no rule there's no rule handed down by the New York State Athletic Commission that actually prohibits intergender wrestling. Only confused representatives from the New York State Athletic Commission would ever suggest such a thing. Yeah, it was my uh, former tag partner, Mr. Mark, Mark House. Yes. Who uh, got himself in trouble at the time. Mark, yes. The former EL generic yes. himself. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Uh, so it sounds like you were on a roller coaster. You pulled through. You were victorious, I assume. Then you bought um, rounds of drinks for everyone at the after party who were affiliated with your, your stable. There's really no one affiliated with my stable. I don't know what you're referring to by my stable. Well, I thought but, the patron um, saints had a whole stable. Of, of, yeah, they've kind of disbanded, though. Um, oh, there wow. is an Erie chapter that still exists. There is a uh, a Jamestown chapter. but um, <laughs> There is Erie and Jamestown chapters, but yeah. the Tonawanda chapter has been revoked. Their license is no longer active. Yeah, they disbanded. It's a long story. That does sound like a long story, yeah. but... um. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that you uh you were victorious. I was also victorious today. I was in a puzzle oh. room. I uh we were able to locate the uh missing detective mm. uh, before the allotted time was up. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are in the city of St. Paul, I do suggest Puzzle Works Puzzle Room. I was impressed with it. What kind of puzzle and, did uh, you put you put together a puzzle? No. <laughs> Have you never done a puzzle room an escape room they're also known as? No, I guess not. A riddle room? No, I don't get out much. Oh, there you series of of clues using various. Usually, there's lock boxes everywhere, and instead of Medicare, there's you know usually keys and other codes, color codes and and letters and and strings and you know all sorts of different ideas. So it's pretty fun. Wow, it was a good time. So you escaped. You escaped we the escaped. puzzle room. Well, yeah, yeah, we escaped the room. We mm-hmm. we solved the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It was uh, we were victorious. It was good. It was with a bunch of improvisers. So oh. uh, always a uh, interesting time with them mm-hmm. because uh, they're, it's like herding cats. But uh, it went well. I was very pleased. And uh, we, we got it. You know, we, we recorded on Wednesday. We recorded again on Thursday. It is now Sunday. We're recording once more. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, you came to me and you said, I don't think we're going to have any content for Sunday. I don't think anything interesting is going to happen. Oh, but lo and, and behold. Uh, I think we've been proven wrong. Yes, we are always proven wrong here. Whether yes. whether you, you whether it comes this to content, is an evolving media ecosystem where there's always a story. Yeah. Um, and I did two um, podcasts yesterday too. By the way, it's just 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 constant uh, constant content creation happening over here. So yeah, that was the subject. So on Wednesday we recovered the WWE conference call, and uh, we have clips on the call. We we go through the Q and A. We go in depth. We're going to touch on it briefly on the show. But if you really want a very good coverage of it, we did about a solid hour on the premium show. And then on Thursday, we had Mr. David Lagana on, uh, formerly of WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, independent content creation, of course, National Wrestling Alliance today, NWA, um, creator of 10 pounds of gold. Right now he's working on the all us series, uh, for the build in for the all ins, um, show. He does a lot of stuff. He's been around the world, literally, uh, with the, with the NWA belt, working very closely with Billy Corgan. And uh, doing all sorts of interesting things in content creation, video production, and whatnot. And uh, he had some big announcements after our show. And on the show, he uh, he announced that he was funding a WrestleNomics media <laughs> content creator scholarship, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
which was uh, unexpected. Was not we, you know, Dave uh, kind of threw it at us on the show live and said that you know he was going to help people learn more about creating content, and then he wanted them to listen to shows like ours, which is a very uh, very nice thing to kind of encourage and say. And mm-hmm. that uh, he was even so interested that he was willing to kind of help people that are out there doing it who want to hear the show that aren't part of um, listening yet, but do content creation that he would um, pay for them to become patron subscribers to our show just so they could get that premium content we're doing, yeah. which uh, I thought was very uh, kind of him. Yeah. So and I, I think uh, that really puts the challenge out there for people like George Barrios and Harold May to, uh, to uh, invest in a, in a similar scholarship to make that offering. Hey, you know, the full, the full sale scholarships came out there. And they gave it to the wrestlers, but also to the producers and the production crew and people that wanted to learn, you know, certain elements of the NXT game. And uh, I think there should be more, you know, wrestling his- history and historian scholarships. I wish they, you know, would continue to get more involved with some of these museums and other groups around the United States that are doing preservation and, and other kinds of research. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things we learned about today was we read this article. Um, it's over at... Uh, Gosh, I'm trying to even think of the name of this website now. It says Mainchi.jp, um, the Manichi, J- Japan's national daily since 1922. Mainichi. Pro businessman steps into the ring to liven up Japanese pro wrestling franchise. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, a whole profile of Harold May. Yeah. And uh, we learn in it that there's a guy who apparently wrote a economics of pro wrestling paper that yes. I desperately want to see now. Professor Noro. Who uh, will be getting an invite soon to uh, to have a talk with us, Professor Ichiro Noro? He's, yeah, he's the he's a, Seiwa, uh, he's a Seiwa University, University professor, professor of Business Administration, and he wrote a book. It says the economics of pro wrestling, a book uh, about the current state and the potential of the industry. So someone has already written the WrestleNomics book, and we didn't know it. Hey, it's in Japanese though, so I feel like you know we can get ahead of the curve because if it works in Japan, ten years from now we'll start seeing it in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So really good article sent to us by um, uh, Lavi, who is uh, one of our, our um, patrons. Uh, and if you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash russellnomics, $5 a month gets you access to our whole back catalog, all the episodes we do every month. And it's a good time. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, he sent us this link to this article, and uh, I had you read it right before we came on the air here. Yes. And uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. What did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, with just with the things that you noted, I think were the main points, he thinks that he's going to get to 10 billion yen uh, within three years, which is about what the Sumo Association is making. Uh, they're at about 4.6 billion yen right now for the most recent fiscal year. And he, the, the New Japan is. New Japan, New, is New Japan Pro Wrestling, yes. yes. Uh, and it, it's similar to their 1996 level, kind of speaking to... It went 1996 was up in the 4 billion yen range. Then they fell as far as about 1 billion yen in 2011. And now they're back up to 4.6 billion yen for 2018, mm-hmm. give or take, you know, some fiscal timing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he confirmed that New Japan World has 100,000 subscribers. 40,000 of them are outside of Japan. Now, I, I was thinking about this and I would like to put a little asterisk on this. Yeah. It says there's 100,000 registered members of their streaming service. Oh, so just users? Uh-huh. So Active that's where I need to, to, to say, ha, huh, I don't know whether this is parsing the words because it was a Japanese article that's now has an English translation up. Yeah. Or whether this is the, you know, literal usage of the word. 
Yeah, this, this article we was, don't see the word paid. Yeah, this article was originally written in Japanese, right? And uh, it was translated to English for us here. Not for us, yeah, but for this so website. Yeah, so it does make me wonder. I wish it was something that, you know, it was easier to go straight to New Japan on. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he says there's 100,000 registered members and 40,000 live outside Japan, I'm going to assume that he means paid subscribers active uh-huh. or have been recently active. Uh-huh. But we don't know that for a fact. Um, I, I would think the real number would be much, much higher than 100,000 if we're just talking content creation of any time. If we're talking just users? Just, uh, yeah, at, yeah. you know, active or inactive subscribers. Yeah, I keep saying content creation because I, we've been talking about it yeah. so much this week, but I meant user account creation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting that he was saying that 40% of their accounts are outside of Japan, which if you think about it, that's kind of a stunning number for for New Japan. Because in the U.S., uh, for WWE Network, it's, it's closer to, what, 30%? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so I mean, it's. it's I think the deal with that impression. is just in Japan, the OTT technology hasn't caught on as fast as, as it has in uh, the U.S. and in Western markets, right? Yeah, I think that's the key there is that, yeah, OTT services are much more popular in countries like the United States, and that as a consequence, then we're seeing much more of a uh, percentage of the audience coming from overseas. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have obviously made a, a, a pretty large plan to try and get the um, word about the service out and going as far as investing in, you know, international uh, commentary teams with the English commentary team. I'm just looking up really quickly here where, where the, um, uh, the the latest subscriber numbers as of the end of 2017 were. Uh, unfortunately, it just takes forever to find sometimes. Subscriber numbers for NGPW World? No, for US. For, oh, um, oh, for the um, W Network? So, uh, yeah, I thought that was really intriguing that he, he gave those numbers out there. They're very close to the numbers that, um, you know, we've read in the Observer and seen other times. What's different, I guess, about it is that uh, in the past, we've seen a lot of, um, and every time I, I have that ding in my ear, do you hear that as well? No, I don't. Okay, good. Ding? <laughs> keep, keep searching for words on the 10K here, and it keeps dinging in my ears. No. Thinking, oh, no, they must hear this. No, no. Um, but what I thought was interesting about it was that... 40% international, what we had heard in the past was, you know, it was kind of people extrapolating off of, you know, sometimes surveys, even like what you had done, looking at the similar, similar web numbers yeah, of, you know, what percentage of their web traffic was coming from overseas and then saying, okay, what if that's a percentage of the audience? I think 28% um, paid at the end of 2017 for WWE. Mm. So um, much higher percentage for new Japan for international, but, um, and so we had never been really sure if that 40% international number was a real number or whether that was Dave or someone taking, you know, web statistics the same way that he treats Google trends as a, um, a Bible and projecting that onto something else or whether he was getting those numbers from New Japan themselves. Mm-hmm. And we had been told that the Chris Jericho appearance at the Tokyo Dome did, in fact, kind of fuel um, a lot of international uh, interest in New Japan this last go around. Mm-hmm. And that it was also possible that perhaps the Tokyo Dome fervor had carried over in this year, getting much closer to G1, where, you know, historically it's kind of lagged in between those two events. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting. I thought that was I- I- intriguing to see that. I would love to, you know, as always, hold the feet to the fire. Okay, if he's telling us 100,000 today, oh, all right, G1's over. Where are you at? End of the year, where are you at? 
Togirum, where are you at? You know, just keep asking, keep finding that out. It sounds like he wants to talk about it, so let's let's push him on that. So should we ask him ourselves? I would like to. I tried to. Like I think I said, I, I tried to friend him on Linkster. I do not think yeah. I have been a Linkster. Listen to me on LinkedIn. Yeah. I do not think I um I was accepted. Oh, maybe he just uh, hasn't checked so. it yet. Yeah. So I might have to be going more to the uh, official channels of the New Japan uh, Company website and trying to find a way to get a, a associated with uh, them so that I can get some more media discussion. But mm-hmm. you know, for a guy who's so you know, quadlingual or, or speaks five or six languages. Hopefully he would be interested in talking more to American media when it comes to this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, especially in this, to go global. this nascent period where he's interested in kind of getting in. And I'm hearing from people online, you know, they're tweeting me back about this article and they're saying things like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of faith in this guy because I like what he says. I, I think he, he's right on. Just taking a look at similar web for whatever it's worth. Uh, we got about 39% of the traffic on NGPW world coming from Japan. So less than 40%. Maybe it's, maybe it's like WWE where wait, 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 40% should be the international number. Are you saying 40% is coming from Japan or outside of Japan? 38.95% from Japan. This is from March. So This is implying 60% of the web traffic to the in Japan world site is in fact actually international that's what it says yeah we got we got about 29 percent in the u.s 11 percent in the uk three and a half percent in australia a little less than three and a half percent from canada huh and a bunch of other countries that i can't see because i haven't paid thousands of dollars to get full access to what similar web data is yeah and let's let's always keep in mind you know there was the article done by gosh which website was it i don't think it was bloomberg but it might have been where they were going through WWE's numbers about YouTube, mm-hmm. and they had the gall to imply that North Korea had more viewers of of WWE content than Japan, mm-hmm. using one of those social metrics tools. Mm-hmm. So, I'm always a little wary of the the reliability of these tools, but I often see how they get kind of um, I don't know. No India here in the top five. Well, and I don't know if India is necessarily picking up on the new Japan trend so much. No. You know, I think but I guess I guess what I'm half joking about is like if all the uh, if all the bot farms are in India and China or wherever they are, they're, oh yeah, they're not in the top five here. Those countries aren't in the top yeah. five here. I don't know what that means. I don't know if any any of this is really that reliable or accurate. But uh, they've uh, the, but similar web has set up a business apparently to you know you to uh, charge people like a subscription fee or whatever it is or consulting fee to to see all this hey. data. We, we've set up a business to charge people a fee yes. to see the data that we're using and doesn't yes. mean we're accurate all the time either. Mm-hmm. So this guy talks about the, the history of um, pro wrestling, the economics of pro wrestling, and he has some really interesting things to say because he sounds a heck of a lot like someone you would get from, from here in the U.S., doesn't he, in parts? In what way? Well, You're talking about Professor says, Noro? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because he says, if we consider pro wrestling to be on his own culture, simply adding subtitles to streaming videos isn't going to cut it. That's right. Cultivating human resources able to do the entire live broadcast, as well as a commentary in other languages, is necessary. I would also like to see a plan to beckon back old domestic fans as well. The important thing about the experience-based consumerism is shared time. Live television broadcasts fueled the popularity of pro wrestling. I think television broadcasts at a time when most people... Most amount of people have time to tune in is one step towards appealing to old fans. Yeah. 
what and is, I was what, just really what does that mean? That because uh, it, it's very similar to the lapsed fan argument, right? Yeah, well, I, I I had to read that last sentence twice. I guess he's saying that he would like to see Japanese pro wrestling be on primetime Japanese television. Yes, I think his point was that when it was the most popular, it was something you could watch on television easily, mm-hmm. and it's hard to watch it on television now. Yeah, and it, while it, it airs very late this, at night. Yeah, you do have this service. It's not obviously very popular in, in Japan compared to, you know, if you only have 60,000 subscribers domestically, it's it's not a super popular service in, in a country of that size. Yeah, and they're on Samurai to. TV, but that's still that subscribership is not very big. I thought it was also interesting he mentioned the unique characteristics of the big names behind the revival of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura have actually been the most effective in bringing in female fans. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of struck me as like, it's probably a, a, an, a, a terrible analogy, but Tanahashi sometimes reminds me of Cena, of, you know, the face of the company, popular with female fans, but getting older isn't going to be the guy that you can rely on forever. Well, that's why there's Okada, right? I mean, I would yeah. think Okada's a, uh, got a lot of female but, fans but as he, well. Uh, maybe, maybe we, it, it's possible. And and then yeah. the other one being Nakamura and it just be like WWE through genius or stupidity figured that out too. the value of Nakamura. And, Did they figure you know, out the value in, of Nakamura? Do I think they know? Yeah, I do. I really do. Um, just because I think his, I, I think WWE does enough marketing to understand when somebody is resonating with a fan base mm-hmm. and just the way that, that Nakamura's entrance and other things kind of caught on in WWE, I mm-hmm. think taught them a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they figured it out ahead of time. Yeah. You know, I think they got lucky, but I mean, I, I think it's something like my, the way my wife reacts, like it, Nakamura is probably her favorite wrestler. Really? To watch. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, he, he's so charismatic. Mm-hmm. And he, he just his entrance from the moment he's on, he's out there, he's fascinating to watch. And and it's just one of those things where, like, he is someone who, you know, sometimes, you know, there are wrestlers and, and that seem to appeal to women and some that don't. And the pretty boy, it's not quite that look. It's something different. And he has it. He has just that that it factor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm using an N of one, but I, I would agree completely that I think Nakamura is a very good kind of gap bridge gapper. Um, and I don't know Okada, Okada's position. You know, it's hard for me to say one way or the other. I think we like to project and say that it is that, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, I, I think Nakamura could have been an even bigger star than he is, but that's my usual response. Yeah, but and so I just think it's really interesting you're bringing up Tanahashi and Nakamura, and then it's like, well, that was the guys from a couple of years ago, and so to continue this trend, you're going to need to keep building. Mm-hmm. And so it will be that question is, is it Omega? Is it Okada? Is it, you know, someone else there? Mm-hmm. And is that going to be the right momentum for them? Uh, not knowing the country well enough, I'm going to take them at their word when they say we need television, we need like live broadcast TV to make this a much bigger thing. And when you hear about uh, Harold May's goals, they're ambitious. You know, if his goal is to get to 10 billion yen and he is at 4 billion yen, and I'm sure 10 billion and 4 billion don't mean anything to most of our English speaking audience but um if you you know plop that into a computer of four billion yen what is that 36 million dollars something like that yeah it's in the 30s that's where they're they are i think yeah 36 million dollars so um so maybe 36 40 who knows maybe even 50 million dollars 
But if if we're talking that and he wants to get to a number that is almost three times higher, we're talking about a 30% Kager if he's talking about in three years. Mm-hmm. 30% growth is astronomical. And I mean, put in perspective, the five-year number for WWE, including this last round of TV deals, is about 11%. Their network number, which, you know, we're talking about going from pay-per-view to the network and the explosive growth they've had, the five-year number is less than 20%. Their digital media number, which, you know, they've invested a ton in the last five years, is probably 16%. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're talking about a 30% growth strategy, you got to do a lot to get there. Big TV rights, I guess? Like, what's the likeliest way that you can make that happen? Big TV rights that they don't have yet? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, what, what, what's the first thing that happens when I post an article about New Japan World subscriber numbers? What do you think my, my tweet Twitter feed was filled with? Um, I don't know what. Oh, it's just people over and over and over again complaining to me that New Japan World is not available oh, yeah. on Hulu and or on um, on uh, Roku and other apps. It's on Fire and Stick people, and Chromecast, though. And then people sending me things about oh, no, you can get on on, on Chrome Stick. Or uh, apparently, um, Evan Deadly Sins has done a great little translation Chrome add-in oh. that you can get for your computer. That's supposed to be very good. Oh. And so a lot of people saying, oh, all you have to do is install this. You know, it's easy to do. If you're and, if you're tech savvy. Exactly, and so part of me is just like I. I'm not going to argue with anyone saying it's easy or it's hard because I can see it on both ways. If you want to see something, you will go out of your way to see it. Like that's just how it is. And we live in a a culture where most of the time, if you want to see something and you're willing to pay, you can get there. However, if you're talking about 30% growth, you cannot rely on people to do the work for you. Yeah. Dribs and drabs will not get you to 30% growth. For a strategy like this mm-hmm. and so that is going to be really tough so part of me is number one how do you get there you need to change your strategy for distributing the new japan world in the 75 percent of the world that is outside of japan for you and that starts with what uh roku apps apple tv apps uh anything else Console apps, yeah. What's a, what's I think, a console you know, app? PS4. Oh, yeah. Co- console, uh, yeah, yeah. Video game consoles. Things yeah. like that. That's yes. what I'm hearing from people mostly. Yes. I don't know in Europe, you know, what is the right strategy to yeah. get there uh, if it's the same things. Um, yeah. But and, and I, I always say I it's, it's the, so weird that um, I, I turn on my Apple TV. There's a Powerbomb TV uh, app. There's a Ring of Honor app. There's a GWN app. No New Japan World app, though. And we know some of it has to do, you know, Chris Carlton, uh, Charlton, um, wrote about it in his fantastic book. He had this whole passage where he explained how in Japan they intentionally set it up so that you can do streaming through your computer, but you cannot d- use a non-computer app to access things because basically the TV stations are the ones that are ultimately the, the rights holders or the media companies behind a lot of this, mm-hmm. and they are terrified of basically cord cutting. Mm-hmm. And so the way that they're trying to kind of stop it is to not allow their their content basically to be available on these OTT apps without you physically almost connecting a computer to your TV screen. Yeah. And so it, it's by design, and it's also bicultural. You know, that's where they are with those places. And so who knows what the international media rights are for this stuff and how much tougher it may or may not be mm-hmm. or what other kickbacks or licensing fees you might have to pay. 
mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those times those apps are set up so that they can do the billing through them and then pay back to the provider. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, they take a cut. And, you know, it's always possible that people are just like, nope, I don't want to give a cut of blank to so-and-so. And so they fight it. But it's a losing battle. So, number one, obviously, you need to change your distribution method for the New Japan world. Or you need to latch it on to somebody else's service. You know, do a rights fee agreement with ROH World or whatever that thing is called. Or with Amazon Prime. With Amazon Prime, with, you know, hell, <laughs> Powerbomb, go get a billion dollars of financing from Wall Street right now while the WWE stock is hot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, make make your $100 million back. Mm-hmm. But it's a big deal. So that's that's a huge, huge thing for them. Number two, um, number of shows. You know, you can make more money by running more shows. It is a tough business, though, because to run shows, you need stars. And like we saw before, you're already seeing... I mean, it, isn't it baffling and incredible that WWE is in Japan this week and New Japan was in two places in the United States and Europe? Was it? I guess you're talking about the Kenny Omega show and... Um and uh bring of honor best in the world pay-per-view yeah mm-hmm. and then they did a european show too oh, that's right with uh with rev pro i i don't know it was they called it like strong british strong style or strong style strong of all, style like, of all the uk Britain or something yeah. yeah and uh but yeah i i imagine it was somewhat rev pro but it was it actually seemed like it mostly new japan stars um, but just, just, it's incredible just like how strange that juxtaposition is, right? WWE's in their homeland and they're back here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, but the challenge is you got to run more shows sometimes to make more money. But if you do that, you risk more injuries on your stars. You risk burning out your ability to pre- present high level cards. And like we said, we did some studies and we looked at it. And what happens when New Japan runs more shows? They do mul- more multi man tag matches. Yeah. And in places like the U.S., it's hard to say whether that audience is going to be happy getting that. Yeah, I guess if you can educate people to accept that as, like, kind of the norm, which Japanese wrestling fans have for decades. Um, And so there is a possibility, just like you say, maybe in Japan, it's fine. You can run more shows in Japan. It's less travel for the guys. And the audience is, is capable of accepting what they're going to get. And maybe you'll even get to a point when you have an A team and a B team and you kind of have almost like a Ron Smackdown type circuit where you're not necessarily bringing all your stars to the same show, but you're running two shows in different places. But it's not like Noah and New Japan back in the day when it was really, really different. Yeah. Um, but so more shows is an option. I don't know if it's a great option. Merchandise, huge option for them. The more merch you can do and the easier you can make your merch available in other places in the world. Yeah. You know, what is the, the feedback that happens every time people um, go to New Japan shows every year seems like, oh, they didn't, they didn't bring, bring enough, enough merch. merch. Oh, they didn't believe that there was going to be that much demand. Yeah. And so to me, it seems like instead of nickel and diming your way there, you should be doing, you know, maybe it's Hot Topic. Maybe it's other people. You got to just cash in on this stuff and not be afraid of losing a little bit of money in merchandise to make a huge profit or at least have a huge amount of exposure. Yeah. You know, the bullet club stuff is probably making them a pretty penny now. Yeah. Maybe a U S and UK offices that can ship out merchandise. Exactly. I mean, and that's, that's the one thing that you hear is, you know, when, when we talk to Dave, I, and to go along with that, like English language, 
I'm, I'm looking at the, the shop.ngpw.co.jp, which is looks to be a lot of Japanese, some English. Uh, if I was just a you know an average consumer, I might just be like, yeah, I don't know what this is. I don't know if I'm gonna try to make an and, order. And then this. what are you gonna do? Wait four weeks for it to ship all the way from Japan and then show up, and maybe you have to pay taxes or customs or whatever on. Mm-hmm. That's a headache. Yeah. So I mean, you'd you'd much rather just see it being shipped from L.A. and call it a day. Yeah. Um, you know, even if I if I go here to like what trademarks has New Japan registered? They have only registered a small handful of trademarks so far in the United States. Um, they have maybe six. Bullet Club is one, right? What's that? Bullet Club is one, right? Let's see here. We they have Strong Style. They have King of Sports. They have Strong Style Evolved. They have Bullet Club, they have King of Sports New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they have Yale! That's Ooh. it. So that's why Nakamura stopped doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that his catchphrase? Well, he, that's part of his entrance anyway. And they've, it's been, at least in New Japan, it's been, Yao has been on his, uh, yeah. they've, yeah. you know, merged him like that. Yes. Yeah. So th- those are the only I trademarks that they've filed the here in the yeah. U.S. And again, if you want to sell lots of merchandise here in the U.S., you probably should be trademarking your stuff, mm-hmm. but that takes money. That takes time. That takes effort. And, you know, that can sometimes be hard for people to think, oh, is this really worth the the added effort of trademarking my stuff in the United States? And so, I think the Bullet Club example should be like your shining star of, can you imagine if they hadn't gone out and got that Bullet Club trademark? What would happen? It could have been Boot- really bad. Bootleggers? Bootleggers. Um, and, and to some degree, they have started to sell some stuff through pro wrestling tees, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we are, I should take it back. I, I shouldn't say that they're, they're doing nothing in the United States. They are doing right. a lot and they, and we, we do see stuff through hot topic and whatnot, but yeah, right. that's one big area for them is more merchandise. And we definitely have seen WWE get in that game. The other one is licensing. And obviously this new, um, fire pro wrestling game that's coming out. That you know, they you saw the commercial for with Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, and I think Cody's going to be in uh, what is it, the Street Fighter game? And you know, we're seeing other stuff like that coming out where, the, but there's licensing potential for them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they're owned by a freaking game company, mm-hmm. so you'd kind of think that there would be a little bit more gaming stuff that goes out there and trading card stuff. You know, there is there is a lot of trading card stuff though, at least available to the Japanese market. Yeah, and so what. What opportunities are they there? But um, I think for licensing, especially in the U.S. here, you know, it's a it's a, a difficult situation and something, you know, what does everyone say when they're doing business with New Japan is how cautious they are and how much they value kind of face-to-face and person-to-person relationships. And so that can be tough if you're trying to move quickly in business. Mm-hmm. And so you do wonder if maybe they're missing out on some of the licensing opportunities they could have. Um, but probably the biggest thing that's out there right now for them is TV, right? Mm-hmm. Is that if WWE can make a deal that's going to get them a 3.6% domestic increase. Yeah. And they currently have, you know, very little television money coming in between their access deal and between their, their actual uh, television deal in Japan. Seems like somebody out there could possibly, if you presented in the right way to the right people at the right time, you could be getting a deal that would only cost you five, 10, 15 million dollars to get a, a good long-term deal from New Japan and could definitely be worth it in the long run. And that, that, you know, if you're talking, what is New Japan going to do to get there? 
that's really what I think they have to get. Yeah. Now, do I, I think they can do a 30% Kager? I do not. I, the, I do not think that's realistic. The thing with the, the idea of New Japan getting a TV deal in this environment in 2018 is you think about like what makes WWE's TV rights so valuable is part of it is because they're, they're airing live, right? So how does that uh, translate for New Japan in a, in a U.S. market where there's like a 14-hour time difference? Obviously, they're still doing a handful, small handful of U.S. shows that would be at a good time that could air live in, in prime time. But you know, how, how do you uh, how do you deal with the Tokyo Dome show on January fourth? How do you deal with all the G one climax shows that are going to happen? You know, in, in the twilight hours for most of the United States. To me, it would seem like you're much better off striking a deal with a digital player. Mm-hmm. You know, if Facebook or Amazon was really serious and they did put out a giant money bid for SmackDown for one tenth that amount for mix match challenge type money you could be getting New Japan. Maybe they'll go to Facebook. I mean, it would not be this it would not be ridiculous at all to me to take a Japanese wrestling company and put it on a digital platform and say, I'm using this to try to reach the next generation yeah. of people. We should ask BTIG and, what they think of uh, New Japan's prospects on Facebook. You know, I think he would start talking to me about how how uh, WWE is probably going to be the number one player in Japan very soon yeah. if I asked them that. Yes. Which I don't believe is true at all, but yeah, I, I think you know it's it's fascinating to me. Um, you know, they they're running this dojo here in the U.S. It'll be very interesting. In some ways, the dojo is an interesting investment. In other ways, I would say business offices would be worth a lot more than a dojo, personally. Mm-hmm. But you should always be investing in your future, so I can't ever write it off, uh, especially without the crazy Enochism principles behind it. It might actually go somewhere this time. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those where performance centers are somewhat money losers, even if you make stars, because you have to then figure out how to plug stars into your system. And so if you have a system that works when you do that, great. If you don't, hell, Kenny Omega worked for WWE de- de- Developmental. Yeah. Just having good performers in your, your, your pipeline doesn't mean success. Yeah. You, you have to have a path to success for them. I, I think these pipelines, whether it's the performance center or a, a U.S. New Japan dojo is like their their pieces, just like the indies are are pieces of developing these wrestlers. You know, I don't think that the PC has been super successful in, in independently creating W superstars. Uh, what's what's creating stars, especially in this media environment, is just people being everywhere and getting a vast amount of experience, not necessarily in one location, but throughout promotions all over the world. You know, wrestling all different opponents, wrestling in all different places, being seen by all different people, getting over with all different people, and so by the time you get to a, a big enough platform, you're you've got some cred with an audience. Hey, if if the New Japan Dojo ends up feeding into Super Indies in the U.S. and gives people that exposure, yeah. good. Yeah. If it's meant to be a place to find the next generation of stars, mm, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I mean. Um, was it Shibata was going to be running it though? That's what I've read. Yeah. So I mean, that, no that like does at slaps. least give me some faith that it's not just you know, and, and not a slight against Rocky, but it's not just Rocky Romero training people. You know that at least it's someone who who's going to be very much in the New Japan mindset mm-hmm. of what they want. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the right model for 2018 onwards? We don't know yet, and and I think 
it's great that I'm hearing May be so ambitious, but it's frightening because, you know, we've seen wrestling companies kind of lay out this ambition, including one called World Wrestling Entertainment. And for years and years, they would lay out ambitions that sounded not too different from this. And when you look at the revenue graph, and I put it in the uh, notes here for any any of the patrons that are listening to the show, between 28, 2008 and 2014, revenue was flat to down mm. for WWE. Which means when you're trying to pivot your model from what you're going from and to where you're going, it's very, very hard when you reach a plateau to keep moving on. Even if you can gain, even if you get a gain in one area, you oftentimes will lose in another area. And so it's just one of these things where they've already gone through a lot of the heartache of at least launching a digital service, but they're, but even that it's clear that they need, you know, new Japan world version two, 2.0 to get to the next level. So it, it will be very interesting. I think it's a great, art, great article. I uh, highly recommend people check it out. If you go to my Twitter at Mukigana, you can see a link to it. Um, other people read it. You know, I just, while literally while we were on air, somebody tweeted me, do you think that perhaps, the 100,000 is not the active subscribers, but just the total registered accounts. So I'm not the only person with that suspicion. Yeah, I, I think the user accounts would be quite a bit higher than 100,000, though. Me too. Me yeah. too. So I, I, I'm going to take it at the word that it's 100,000. Because if anything, to me, that's a low number. Because I had kind of been led to believe, hey, it's 100,000 and we're kind of over the hump and now it should actually be growing quite a little bit because they've hit a hundred thousand once or twice already. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a interesting kind of piece. And again, speaks to the, the absolute, um, bravado from Harold may about his interest in pro wrestling. I think it's funny that he almost makes it sound like he had a repressed memory about watching wrestling as a kid. Mm hmm. Where he says something like, I didn't remember that I watched it as a kid until my wife brought it up to me 10 years ago. It's like, okay, that's a weird story, but okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he sounds like a interesting guy. And uh, depending on your take to things, you know, he the, the article here makes a big deal about the fact that he, what, ran into the ring and dived in to talk to everybody. He, he didn't literally dive into the ring. The, the, he didn't. But if you read this article, you'd yeah. think he did. Well, I don't know, maybe because I actually saw what he did. It, it talks about how he went went to the ring uh, at Dominion and, and uh, introduced himself to the crowd and talked about his dreams for New Japan, he said, because he, he wanted to reassure fans, you know, if you've got a non-Japanese person leading this business, he just wanted to, you know, quell any concerns. They called it a flashy run and slide into the ring. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, they did, which I would disagree with. Hmm. Though, I mean, the promo package was flashy, for sure. Yes. That was something we talked about with Dave Lagana. Yes. Uh, not often we get to see our our um, our champ, our uh, our presidents of wrestling companies showering. Yes, so they, 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 they are the champions, though, as well. They are the, uh, they are the uncrowned champions, the real champions. They are the uncrowned champions. Yes, that is true. But just, um, it, you know, it always, it sets off those one set of alarm bells for me always. Whenever you have the promoter slash president slash executive... And they're in the ring and they're doing something. And it's like, ugh, you start crossing those worlds. Next thing you know, something starts going a little off. Yeah, and, uh, I, in, in the U.S., I think that's more so the case. Uh, I'm more tolerant of it in Japanese in wrestling. Japan, we've seen it quite a lot. Like, I mean, New Japan didn't fail with Inoki on top because, you know, it was his philosophy that was coming through in yeah. all the MMA crossover stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I, I, sometimes you do. It, 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 it depends. It, oftentimes, if you are the former charismatic, you know, superstar, it's very tough for you to to relinquish the spotlight. Yeah. I, I guess just in Japan, we don't have the uh, this history of authority figures ever since 1998 coming out and uh, being ubiquitous on the TV. So until Harold May comes out and starts making matches mid-show. Uh, I know, and that's what I'll I'm giving the benefit. And of again, the doubt. That, that's my fears because it's like, oh, you know, he he clearly sees what WWE and people do. Yeah, and the hope is, you know, it's not going to become like an FMW where they they were pushed to go in that way and they did. Right. No, I have Rather, the impression you know, that uh, true to the core, he gets the difference and the value and the difference between New Japan and WWE and doing things like that, like authority figure gimmicks. Let's hope. Yeah. Let us hope. Yes. So that was the profile. That was really interesting. And like I said, I thought it was fascinating that New Japan was all over the world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what they were doing in Florida um, after this next section. But I, I do think we should touch on the WWE TV deal. Because um, since we talked to most of these people last, because of sadly or gladly, most people are not, in fact, um, premium subscribers. So they only hear us once a week, Brandon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, last time they talked to us, last time they heard from us, it was, you know, uh, maybe June 25th, and the stock was at a paltry $67 a share for WWE. Mm-hmm. It was a mere $4 billion company at that time. Yes. And now we're, we're sitting closer to $73 a share. Yeah. And the question is, well, what drove it up? And the answer was a TV deal. But you might say, Mookie, I, I thought they had already announced their TV deal. No, they never announced their TV deal. They got a whole bunch of articles written about their TV deal. We even got a, a blow by blow play by play smack talk coming out of the Fox WWE meeting mm-hmm. with Rupert Murdoch, you know, uh, uh, crapping all over USA Network. What did he tell him? USA Network, NBC Universal is embarrassed of you. Not us, though. We're going to promote you all over our sports programming. We're going to give you a studio show on FS1. We're going to love you. And, and you know, that was something Dave made a big deal about is that it's not with Fox. The deal is with Fox Sports. And so they're but it's not going to air on the Fox broadcast channel. It's on the Fox broadcast channel, but the deal is actually with Fox Sports. And mm-hmm. so it's not part of the Fox, you know, entertainment side. It's mm-hmm. with their Fox Sports division. Mm-hmm. Proving and once so again that it, professional wrestling is, in fact, a sport. It's whatever it needs to be today to get the big bucks. Yeah. And that, that should be a lesson for uh, New Japan, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if the big bucks today are showing up for sports, then you're a sport, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a, a host of articles written on this. Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Cable Facts, Bazinga, Bloomberg, Seeking Alpha. All of them wrote different articles on this. Price tag for WWE rights. Deal soars for TV wrestling shows. WWE shares pop 15% after multi-million dollar TV deals with Fox Comcast. WWE wins big with Raw Smackdown deals. Wall Street bets big on WWE future. WWE surges to record with new Raw Smackdown TV deals. WWE powering through all price targets. Just an assortment of, of different titles. Uh, first of all... No wrestling move puns wow. there. That's disappointing. No wrestling move. This has to be a record for me. That's how you Six. know. That's how you know the business is changing. Yeah. Not a single slam. Not a single uh, pile drive. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't usually make sense when they use pile driver. Mm-hmm. 
in the sentence. No, uh, no, no clothesline. Yeah, there's there's mentions of SmackDown, but only only in the context of it being a television program. No SmackDown ver- verb. You know, n- yes. WWE put lays the SmackDown on whatever. Yeah, yeah. this is so, the, this um, is the he- the hero in all of us is just changing people's minds. Um, so so perhaps the hero's that, journey. You know, maybe that is the best indicator of WWE. Joseph Campbell is the percentage of stock increase that they can have. As a ratio of percentage of wrestling puns used in the title. Yeah, there is a correlation there, I think. Or an, an inverse correlation, yeah. Yeah. So this is this has got to be a record for me. And, and it's fascinating how much the stock went up. Because in a sense, there was not a lot of new information in this deal. We had pretty much known ahead of right. time who they were doing the deal with, when it would begin, and approximately how much it was for. Yes. But apparently there were some investors out there who weren't, weren't too sure. But once WWE put out those press releases uh, last week in an afternoon, they went out and they bought more stock. It would seem – well, I mean, t- technically what happened, they put it out on Tuesday night. Then um, in the after hours trading, the stock shoots up. Stock opens up at 74.17. Stock falls all the way down to 70 bucks by 11.30 that morning on Wednesday mm-hmm. after the conference call. And then it starts to rally. And then by um, by the end of the week here, it's back up to seventy four bucks, and now it's sitting at seventy two ninety four. So um, seventy two eighty three, I guess, is is the final price. So it, it's interesting because it went up another eight seven eight dollars. Uh, so maybe there was people like me who were concerned that uh, there was something about this deal we didn't know about. Um, I think a lot of people misunderstand the deal. I'm seeing this universally that people did not read the press release very clearly. When the the numbers that they're giving here is for their key content agreements in seven top countries and regions, U.S., U.K., India, Canada, Latin America, Middle East, and South Africa. And they announced the U.S. Raw and the U.S. Smackdown deal. They have a 10-year deal already in place for Canada. That's with Rogers. That doesn't expire until 2024. They've already announced their South African deal. That was with Supersport. That, That started in August of 2017. So those deals are part of the money that they're announcing, which is something a lot of people missed, is that many millions of dollars are already tied up in Canada and South Africa in addition. Then they're saying they're going to do India, UK. And the Latin American deal, I think, ends with Fox Sports Latin America in October 2019. The Middle Eastern deal with OSN, I think, goes through 2019. But it's vague because they just signed a free-to-air deal with Mexico. So... You know, is that included? Is that not included? I don't know. So it, it gets a little complicated, but a lot of people thought this was 100% U.S. dollars, and it is not 100% U.S. dollars, even in that red bar. Um, but the, the 3.6x increase in the NBCU deal. That, is that, the only thing that they've actually told us that is about the domestic deal itself. Yeah, which is way above, I mean, to, to put this in context, before any news of this deal came out, you know, uh, financial firms are putting out analyses, and we were kind of agreeing, yeah, 1.6 to 1.8x, that seems reasonable. Yeah. Anything else would be a surprising. <laughs> yeah, we thought maybe 225 to 250. Yeah. And some of this is WWE winning. Some of this is WWE timing. I, I still strongly believe Fox wanted to stick it to UFC, and that played a lot into their decision to go deep with WWE. Hmm. is that they saved some money and then they had already earmarked some money to possibly get some UFC and WWE came to the table at the right time with the right deal. I think they did 
really smart work with CAA and Ari Emanuel's organization and other people to make themselves worth it this time. And, you know, they were able to ride the wave at the right time and they got the deal done and they reordered how they did the deal. Last time around, they got international deals with these heightened expectations done. Then they screwed with the WWE Network, which pissed off a lot of domestic partners. And then they had trouble finding domestic partners that even wanted to give them a real deal. Hmm. This time around, they found bidders. They found people to play off each other. They found a way to split it. They found they found a way to even get their USA Network to basically spend the same amount of money for half the content. And th- this has a lot to do with the timing of UFC's TV deal, too, doesn't it? Like, if UFC wasn't... Uh didn't drive as hard of a bargain on Fox and end up leaving Fox and going to ESPN. Say they just accepted whatever terms Fox offered them, stayed on Fox. WWE doesn't get, doesn't go to Fox probably, right? Um, I know there was talk beforehand about maybe they'll get WWE and UFC. Um, Yeah, and it's possible. I mean, Fox is cash rich. So I think it was always possible that Fox would have, you know, thrown a bone to WWE for SmackDown for FS1. Yeah. And WWE might have bit, but I think for them to get guaranteed Friday nights and all that, yeah. I think that really was a, a big deal yeah. for them. And it, it will be interesting. You could even argue it, it dates back to the UFC sale. Yeah. So when v- the Vince UFC McMahon sale owes, owes Dana White uh, a big thank you then. You know, that, that people looked at UFC and they saw the expectations that UFC baked into that sale of what they were going to get. And they thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the guy holding the bag. Mm-hmm. I don't. This is half debt. Look at all their stars. You know, some of these people might have read the tea leaves and actually seen um, that that you know things are are rough at times in UFC and that a lot of their stars. And then on top of that, WWE goes out and signs the biggest UFC star available, Ronda Rousey. With Ronda Rousey. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the second biggest with Connor, but Connor is tech. I I don't think he's really available. Mm-hmm. And you could argue um, so, that, I mean, well, for what WWE is going to value, Ronda Rousey is maybe even more valuable than Conor McGregor would be. Ronda Rousey arguably has more crossover value. She has more, uh, she's, she's more interesting to women. Uh, maybe she's a better yeah, fit same, for same WWE. She doesn't have a John Jones taint the way, you know, a John Jones would have. Mm-hmm. Um, or a Diaz or anything else. She hasn't uh, thrown anything through a bus window yet. <laughs> so... You know, obviously, you're worth whatever you're getting paid. So, you know, Connor, Connor's a known entity because he just made a ton of money, right? Mm-hmm. But that said, it seems like WWE was brilliant the way they were able to go on tour, get people interested, create the hype, and then go out there and make a big deal by having Ronda there and having the right sports marketing agencies behind them to make this stay a big deal this whole time. Mm-hmm. So... Kudos to them for getting it right. And uh, I wrote an article over at Fightful, um, kind of reviewing the uh, conference call, talking about some of the, the Q&A. Whenever they're doing a deal like this, you know, you're looking for them to give you new, new information. And the reality was there was very little new information to be had because they won't even give you a long-term forecast on what this does to their dynamics of their economics because they want to finish their international deals first. We don't know how much reinvestment there's going to be. We don't know how much um, other deals might come through. You know, there was a rumor going around this week that NXT might go to Fox. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, digital things that could be happening. There's there's all sorts of other stuff that could be going on. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But the, the subjects that they touched on in this article, I'm sorry, in this call, 
um, you know, some good stuff, uh, Q&A, some interesting things, starting off with the BTIG being so disappointed that yes. digital rights were not involved. Uh, they talked about the UK and the India renewals. And, of course, George is big on India. He's That's his new China. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, um, you know, Michelle Wilson is delighted. And we play a little soundbite to uh, show how delighted she is. Um, and there's some questions there about, you know, what are they going to spend money on? And localized content is definitely going to be one of the things they're going to spend a lot on. And then the last question was about a really financial wonky thing about this $200 million of debt they took out. And a lot of people have focused on the $100 million of uh, stock sale that Vince McMahon did, right? Yep. Um, but I think a lot of people have also missed that, you know, WWE themselves, even when the stock was weaker than it is today, took out $200 million of debt. Mm-hmm. And tried and basically went out to the marketplace and and got financing at that point, and you could argue that was also probably a premature decision by them because it didn't show the faith that they had in where they ended up today. So WWE's own actions to me speak volumes about their surprise by the magnitude of their deal. And when people ask, you know, was Vince McMahon stupid for selling his stock six months ago? Well, he had a plan to do something in January, so he was going to do it. Yeah, they weren't going to let him sell stock, in my opinion, between January and June. They, they being he started selling stock right before they announced a TV deal. That looks fishy. Yeah, they being people in the company who would advise him about this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there might even be a literal blackout date because they might even say, "Hey, if you're about to announce a big deal, you're not allowed to sell stock." Yeah. I don't know enough about corporate securities law, mm-hmm. but there are sometimes you know kind of things like that where they basically say. Because you you would have too much inside knowledge about what's happening, yeah. Um, and he's so closely observed that you know there's always that fear that you know that people are going to essentially read whatever he does as a panic move. Mm-hmm. However, it is it's a shock to me that he was able to sell a hundred million dollars and not tank his own stock. And now we have people out there talking about eighty dollars. Somebody even talked about them hitting $100 next year. Mm-hmm. And and this is another one where it's a little bit similar to that conversation we had about New Japan. The growth is there. They have growth coming down the pipeline. The question is, is there a lot left in the stock that it means that there's undervalued potential that has not yet been recognized in the stock price? And that's really hard to answer. Because I, I crunch the numbers and... Maybe I'm way off base, but I, I think they're only looking at maybe a 15, 16% overall Kager from maybe 2019 to 2023 on their television um, sex segment. Now, that's a good number. They're at about 14% now, and their 10-year number is closer to 11, and their 15-year number is only 5%. So, I mean, it's, it's good to be cranking along at 15%. Mm-hmm. But... You know, live events is at five and, and digital media is maybe at 12 and licensing is probably at two and other, which is going to be your travel packages and your WWE studios and all the other miscellaneous revenue. That's a negative number. Mm-hmm. And maybe network could be 10 to 15, but it's, it's, it's tough because you would have to really reorganize network to keep the, the growth going. So it's one of these things where, yeah, they have upside potential, but I would be really curious what it, they would be doing. You know, the easiest way for WWE to be a more profitable company would be to drastically cut what they spend on the performance center. And I don't think a, that's a good idea or B is going to happen. Yeah. So 
international deals. Maybe one of them will surprise us. Maybe one of them will be more interesting. But uh, for for what the value of the stock is today, um, I I know I've been saying the same thing for six months. I've been wrong every month, which is I don't know why people buy and sell WWE stock. But to me, the upside here, we're, we're recognizing most of it today. Let's take a break. Oh. All right. I, I don't know how W announcers go through a three-hour show, four-hour show, five-hour show, and just Without sit there. into the bathroom? Incredible. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so I tried to look up the Japanese version of the article so I could find this uh, that this book. Yeah. But it's paywalled. Oh, no. Um, so oh, here we go. I see something. Oh. So we're recording again. I just so uh, now that I've regained my consciousness, you're talking about it's, it's not a good idea to. It's not going to happen, and it wouldn't even be a good idea to, to close down the performance center uh, because it's worth it. It's actually worth it. This is a, a, a thing that always comes up. You know, wow, they're spending so much money on the performance center. Yeah, NXT, they're 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 touring with it, but it's really just a vanity project. They're just they're not making money on it. They're losing money on it. Is it really worth it? I guess it depends on how much it, they're, they're spending, and I never get a clear idea of what that is. It's in, the, it, you know, tens of millions per year, probably. Yeah, I mean, the, the corporate and other um, segment, in terms of a cost mm-hmm. basis, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for Oibda was negative two hundred million, up from negative one hundred and seventy nine million the year before. Mm-hmm. Before year before that was negative one hundred seventy two, and the year before that was a negative one hundred fifty. Year before that, it was negative one hundred twenty seven. And the reason I bring that up is to say it jumped up by 25 million, then another 25 million, then another 25 million. So, I mean, it's gone up by $75 million in five years, that segment. Mm-hmm. And do you think how a, little bit a lot of that increase it, it, is it, it belongs to the performance center? No, not all. It's in there. It's yeah. part of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how much of it is in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a cost. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, cost of revenues. If you were in charge of WWE and the Performance Center had never been built and launched or whatever, how would you handle WWE Developmental? Um, I think... Would, would you just uh, subsidize a handful of independent companies? No, I, th- I think the Performance Center is the right strategy. Yeah. I would just question the the recruitment strategy, mm-hmm. and I would question the um, contract retention strategy. Like hell, if if it, it's very hard to criticize WWE when they're successful, because it makes ploys that took two or three years seem like they were strategy. So the fact that they tied up all these people in UK contracts, but then don't really seem to know what they want to do with them. You can look at that a lot of different ways. You can look at that as lost value. You can look at that as strategic aim because you screwed with your competitors in the UK. You can look at that as, um, you know, setting the groundwork so that you're able to quickly launch your own brand. Mm-hmm. There's three different, you know, answers there. And it's hard for me to say which one is the right one uh, to for WWE. And without me sitting there and really going through it all, it's hard to know. I would just say it seems sometimes like maybe they're spending disproportionately on the performance center 
compared to what they could also get out of other results. And what, what's the issue with recruitment strategy? Recruiting too many uh, athletes, football players? Is that it? I think, yeah. I think that they under they undervalue the experience that is generated by actually being having the desire to be a pro wrestler. Yeah. And proving that in ways that is outside of their system. Mm-hmm. And it just it challenges you to say whether or not that is the right set of tools that you're looking for in what they're recruiting for. Mm-hmm. And now that they've kind of pulled back on their old mantras about, you know, you have to be this tall, you have to weigh this much, you have to be able to do this. Yeah. But on the flip side, it's still hard to say what are successes. And, you know, in general, when I've looked at it, the number one driver for getting people to become main eventers is let more people try to be main eventers. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, they, they should have this kind of training or they should be taught, you know, they should get experience doing this. Yeah. I, I've I think... seen people like Mystico come in the system and fail. Yeah. And they failed both because of what they did and the way the system treated them. Mm-hmm. We've seen people like Nakamura come in the system and to some degree really succeed. Mm-hmm. We've seen AJ Styles jump the whole system. We've seen Brock Lesnar go through their system in an older form. Mm-hmm. You know, there's success stories and there's failures. And it's hard for me to say, what is the right secret sauce? And you can overthink it. I think the challenge is when you're pushing everybody to Florida and you're just building this giant complex down there. At times, you do worry if you're cookie cuttering it a little too much. Mm-hmm. Especially if there's just too many people there because... You know, you, you want to create a, a rivalry and a competition, but at the same time, you don't want to create a sense that you're you're a nameless face. Somebody was telling me a story last night. And maybe this is something that's been told publicly in some interview too. But like John Laurinaitis, uh, either right after CM Punk was signed or or right before, sort of had the the impression of CM Punk of like, well, yeah, you're going to do a bunch of flips and high flying stuff, but like didn't know that CM Punk doesn't really do that much high flying stuff. There's just like yeah, an independent wrestler. Oh, he must be some high flyer. You know that that that's what indie wrestling is. It's high spots and high flying. And uh, now John John Laurinaitis hasn't been in charge of talent development or talent relations in a long time. But I think there's there's still coming out of that uh, that philosophy. But as as I always say, I think Triple H had like a philosophical conversion in late 2014. That uh, for whatever reason, whether it was the crowd reactions at Full Sail. Uh, or just the, um, what, I guess that would have been 2015 in San Jose, right? Where they did that big live event for, for NXT that you were at. Um, yeah, I think he had, he had his mind changed in 2014 about what indie wrestlers could be. And, and I think Vince did too. It it sounded like Vince came to that at NXT show in San Jose Mm -hmm. and that changed his opinion of what NXT could be. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it's, it's. What I honestly think is if you could pay more wrestlers a better living wage, it would be it would go a long way towards creating credibility for what you're doing. Because I do think that there's also that element of saying to people, hey, I want you to bust your butt. I want you to go be an independent wrestler. And by the way, here's 60 K. Why don't you move to Florida and go go through my system again? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when there's other schools out there you know, like New Japan that seem to be much more successful at their style of what they're doing to bring people through. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to, to just kind of compare and contrast. And so, you know, I don't know whether the, the recruitment strategy and the money strategy right now is really aligned in a way 
because you don't, you definitely don't want people to be lazy. You definitely don't want people to think that this is the main goal for them in life is just to be a developmental wrestler. But at the same time, they're going to get such a giant increase of money. And one of the reasons you're not able to recruit the top tier is because you're, you're reluctant to open those purse strings. And so it's fascinating to see, you know, WWE's willing through oh, to spend twenty thirty million dollars on Andrew Luck. Why? Because he's the quantity they want and they want it to be successful, so they spent the big bucks. Yeah. So, you know, you have to spend money to make That's right. The, the, all that money that WWE, WWE makes all that money that WWE makes and Vince McMahon cashes out in dividends and in sale of stock. That's gotta be used for the XFL, not not for, you know, not for rewarding the workers of, of WWE. And, and that's the challenge is that, you know, if you actually were covering insurance and I think there's even a mean when they say they're going to have insurance for the league, are they? T- Hang on. You're breaking up. You still there? You still there? About actually paying medical insurance. Hang on. You still there? Yeah. Okay. You're, you're, you've been breaking up for the last like 45 seconds or so. You've been, let me, let me do that whole sentence again. Yeah. Give it a shot. There's been a debate online about what they meant. There's a sentence about giving insurance for XFL and spending something like $10 million a year. To Um, to insure the players of the XFL. Well, we don't, I don't know if the sentence was clear enough that it was about insurance for players, insurance for the league, meaning I'm just trying to ensure that, you know, if I get sued over CTE 20 years later, I can say use this insurance policy was this actually reported myself. somewhere or is just, is just people talking it was it it was an a uh, interview that the new xfl commissioner gave mm-hmm. where he said something mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people like dave Meltzer, read very very deeply into the sentence mm-hmm. and it, it's possible that it means something else mm-hmm. is all i'm trying to say mm-hmm. um but at the same time it could mean he's giving medical coverage for all the players and wwe sort of covers guys if you get injured in the ring WWE will usually pay for your surgery. That said, you're expected to go to their doctors at their time and their schedule. And, and you know, and you're that could mean, to hey, provide. you go to Alabama for the surgery. Well, if you don't live in Alabama, that can be a hell of a, a you know, a challenge to, to be doing things when they're not in the States or the places where you live. And, and that's for major injuries, but WWE wrestlers are required to carry their own insurance not provided to yes, them by and WWE. that came up in the CM Punk trial, even. Yeah. And and there's that big question about... And, and that's one of the things, is the reason WWE is not spending on insurance for their wrestlers is because they don't want to blur the already blurred line of independent contractor even more. Because mm-hmm. that's treating your people like employees. Mm-hmm. Now, should they? Yes, they should. But they don't. Mm-hmm. So... It'll just be really interesting to see. I I think WWE is going to make a lot more money here. And it's funny because you listen to, you know, what do the investors think WWE should do? And, and their answers tend to go from they should buy more stock and drive the stock price up to they should pay dividends back to people to they should figure out more and better ways to be an M&A target. Nobody is saying, hey, they should pay the wrestlers more money. And... When you think about who's influencing George and Michelle, the co-presidents of WWE, the only two people that were on that call, the people that were in that room with Rupert Murdoch when Vince McMahon wasn't, wrestler welfare does not seem like it's going to be very top of mind for them. 
Mm-hmm. So, the right thing to do and what will really happen, as usual, might might end up worlds apart. Yeah. And you know, some people are going to say maybe they they don't deserve the wrestlers don't deserve to make more money for some reason because a big TV deal kicked in. Yeah. But one would pretty much argue that the value of the promotion, as much as you want to say it's WWE, it is the wrestlers and it's the product that they create. Mm-hmm. So if you're a wrestler, your best bet right now is invest in your own stock. By the way, Brad Shepard is reporting Saturday night's main event is going to be coming back to Fox and that Fox has agreed in principle to put NXT on FS1. I have no comment. Yeah. NXT takeover shows will expand by one hour starting airing at 7 p.m. Expected to so this take place economics of pro wrestling book looks like it might have been published all the way back in 2001. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my. I'm, I'm finding it here. I can get a copy for $93. Really? Uh, Is yeah. it in Japanese? Rusu no Keizaiguku Chisi Yozo Nandimo Ari Jaidai Sakayo no Bajinitsu Matanoru. Yeah, so. You sound like um, a character from Star Wars. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where um where that lands. But uh that that's what's going on there. New Japan was in the US. They did the Ring of Honor show. They went to uh some people went to the UK and did did a show. And then there was the CEO and New Japan show that Kenny Omega was basically the promoter yeah. of record. Should we call any of those shows New Japan shows? I think they're just shows with New Japan talent, kind of with New Japan's blessing. So I guess they're New Japan shows to that extent. I was calling them New Japan shows because they involve all the top New Japan talent showing up around the world in other people's promotions. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a question of what is New Japan if it's not the talent. Mm -hmm. A ring with uh, white uh, ring posts and uh, blue canvas and uh, all the the announcers and, uh, and the look of a New Japan show. That's fair. That's fair. It, it's not the Kyle Powell show. No, absolutely not. They were not the promoters of most of these shows. They promote, I mean, this New Japan Strong Style Evolved United Kingdom show is called NJPWUK.com. Mm-hmm. I would say that's a New Japan show. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The other two shows were a little different. And so the, C- the CEO New Japan show um, that Kenny Omega promoted, CEO some kind of a, a gaming um, for fighting game sports and it's a big conference down in Florida. Kenny Omega, big fan, wanted to do a wrestling show. Definitely not a New Japan ring, we learned. Mm-hmm. Puts on a show um, with him and Kota Ibushi in the main event. Yeah, Let me, let me run through uh, the card real quick from top to bottom. Uh, Kenny yeah, Omega please. and Kota Ibushi beat Tetsuya Naito and Hiromu Takahashi in the main event. Uh, Taguchi and Dragon Lee beat uh, Sho and Yo. Jeff Cobb beat Chase Owens. Tamatanga and Tangaloa beat David Finley and Juice Robinson. Jushin Thunder Liger beat Rocky Romero. So those are all New Japan guys. That's the main Chase card. Owens doesn't wrestle a lot for New Japan, but he has in the past. But, but he, do, he does tours, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, very New Japan route. And then you have the undercard. Yes. Then we had the the pre-show matches, again, in reverse order here. Alex Jabaley, the promoter of CEO, defeated Michael Nakazawa. Um, Not sure what was happening there. Michael Nakazawa also defeated Skinny Boy, an unnamed wrestler. And then the first pre-show match was Jason Rance defeating Aaron Epic. 
So, um, it turns out Jason Rance yeah. is a sex offender. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say it turns out. It is knowledge yeah. in the professional wrestling community. <laughs> yes. In the United States of America. That he is a convicted yeah. sex offender. Now, it sounds like he was only on sex offender status for seven years. Only. So, that was 2011. So, in theory, his his status as a registered sex offender might actually be um, ending. Is that how that works? There's an exp- expiration date? I don't know. This was So, this is where I got a little confused. It still says he's registered when we go to this Florida website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is the Florida government website, I should point out. Yes. Um, but in 2011, when the observer did it, they said he had to register for seven years. And he that is his real name, I guess, is Jason Rance. That is his real name and his wrestling name. Not only that, he, his, his, uh, his car, his, he drives a Mercedes-Benz, 2008. It's a four-door. Do you know what the tag is? <laughs> it's, it's C-H-A-5-Y-N. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. He, um, I won't even say allegedly, he was convicted of uh, lewd and Leviticus, no, Leviticus. How do you say this word? L a s c i v i o u s. We'll uh, we'll we'll allow Google to pronounce it. Ready? Lascivious. Lascivious. Thank you. Lascivious uh, battery sex with victim, twelve to fifteen. Uh, the story that has been repeated is that there was a uh, person on vacation. After some matches, um, they had intercourse, and she turned out to be, I think, 15. Her mother found a diary entry and, you know, basically uh, pushed this mm-hmm. to, to uh, and he admitted to it. Mm-hmm. So, this is not the first time this story has come out. He is a trainer, and I believe he runs a pro wrestling school in, in Orlando, maybe? Still I today. He, I believe in wrestling mm-hmm. today, right? I'm not making this up, isn't it? I believe in wrestling. I believe so. I think that's, I think that's the one he's he's part of. Maybe I'm incorrect, but uh, I see a lot of, a lot of times he used to work there. Don't know if that's still true. So he was on the ring crew that helped, I think, provide this ring. Was the story? Yes. And Kenny Omega's story is that basically he said, "Hey, ring crew, thank you for giving us the ring. Thanks for setting things up." Uh, we can do a dark match. We won't, you know, treat it like a big deal. We're not going to give you commentators. We're not going to give you titles. We're just going to open up the card. Mm-hmm. And you guys can decide who you want to do. And so these two people were the people that were chosen by this anonymous ring crew. And uh, this is how they opened their show. And so people were understandably a little disgusted by this. Mm-hmm. And that... They went after Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega, of course, used to being a performer, not often a promoter, maybe never a promoter. This might be the first show he ever promoted. I don't know if he's done any work in Winnipeg to promote wrestling himself. And like many promoters, seems like he lashed back out at the people when they criticized him Mm -hmm. and basically gave a, well, how was I supposed to know? Right. And then kind of backed off that in, in the future to say, well, you know, if anyone was was actually offended, what did he say? Yeah. 
And, and he's specific. He said, I'm terribly sorry for anyone in the building that felt unsafe or personally offended by his inclusion on the show. Mm-hmm. I will personally provide refunds to anyone in attendance that couldn't enjoy themselves because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a terrible oversight. Yeah. And it was local talent he was not personally familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel, I feel both ways on this one. He says, uh, the first dark match I'd allowed caused trauma among some fans. By no means do I wish to support or defend these people. I trusted blindly and potentially tarnished the name of the event that was very important to me, and it took a lot of time and finances to realize. I'm sorry for anyone truly hurt by this, and can assure people that I won't be taking chances like this in the future. Mm-hmm. I will monitor every detail directly if when we challenge CEO Cross NJPW Part 2. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, I, I would say the first strike is on the people Kenny has around him because I don't expect the guy who's the New Japan pro wrestling champion to know the ins and outs of the U.S. indie scene today. Yeah, I, I think it points to However, like, you know, whether he, he was convicted in 2011, whatever happened, but uh, he, he's still allowed to be a, be a part of this wrestling scene. There's still reputable people, apparently, you know, allow, allowing him to be included and you know, booking him on shows and having him be a part of a wrestling school or whatever. And uh, that's just accepted as normal. So then he shows up as part of this team that's helping them set up this this event or helping them set up the ring or whatever it is. And he seems to be like just any like any other guy here. Oh, yeah. OK, we'll throw these guys in a match here. But I do feel like as a promoter, you, you need to be plugged in to what you're doing mm-hmm. because it's the same thing. I when I when I do improv, I have to make sure I understand what I am presenting to the audience because, you know, you will get caught where you'll ask for a suggestion or something and someone will name a celebrity or name someone. And if you don't know what's going on with that, you can get yourself in some very deep water. Because, you know, I'm not a big sports guy. So if someone gives me a name of a guy and then I find out later, oh, that guy's in the news because he's been accused of beating his wife. Mm-hmm. And then I think about what I was saying on stage about that. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's loaded. You don't want to go down that path. And that's because if you're going to take an idea and you don't understand it, you run the risk of basically putting yourself in a position where you're commenting or in almost sometimes even seeming like you're endorsing something because you're ignorant. And so you always have to be in that realm to say, whoa, I know what's happening or I don't know what's happening. And if you don't know what's happening, it's up to you as a promoter to get educated or to get someone near you who's educated. This is such an easy, low-hanging fruit mistake. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a thing about Florida indie wrestling, and I knew this guy had had a criminal history. And so it just seems like a hundred people were in that building behind the scenes that could have said something to him mm-hmm. and, and people kept their mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, that's part of this too, is mm-hmm. that we do have a culture sometimes where we just say, Oh, it's not my problem. That's somebody else's to deal with. And you know what? You burn your own paychecks when you make decisions like that. Yeah. Cause ultimately, you know, maybe he's not going to want to run another show like this. And all those guys are not going to ever get that exposure again. Yeah. I guess it wasn't great exposure for them anyways. Cause it was really just the new Japan guys getting any exposure. Yeah. So I, I guess to some extent, this should be a lesson to, to promoters, any promoter, right? Who's, especially when you're running shows where on a lot of the indie shows, like the ones that I'm on, where like, you know, you show up with maybe 50% of a card, maybe less than that, maybe 90% of a card, but there's always 
uh, almost always on every show, there's somebody gets booked who just, just showed up and hoped for a spot and got one. Uh, and I guess my, my question is like, should, uh, maybe promoters should just uh, Google the person's name real quick or, or ask this person what their real name is and then Google their real name as well. And just make, just to make sure I'm mean, a cursory Google search would have brought up, uh, oh yeah, by the way, Jason Rance is a sex offender. Or, or you can even rely on the people around you to say, do you vouch for this guy? Are you going to put your reputation here? Mm-hmm. And so many people in wrestling are willing to let somebody else make a mistake. But if it's actually going to affect them, they'll step in and say, no, I won't. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's some good people in wrestling and there's some people that make poor life decisions. And there's a lot of people that I would say, yeah, I know this guy. And if they said, will you vouch for him? I'd say, you know what? That's between you and him. <laughs> And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean it that, you know, there's a lot of people that make stupid decisions. And there'd be times I'd be like, I can't think that that was a good idea on your part. And I think being a sex offender, that's way out of the league. I'm not talking about that level of stupid decision. Mm-hmm. So to me, it just seems like it's unfortunate that no one else there kind of went out of their way to step, speak up to. And as a promoter, ultimately, the responsibility is yours. Yeah. If someone's offended, if someone's upset, if you're the promoter, you have to own that. That's the responsibility of being the promoter. You don't get to get the glory if you're not willing to take some of the shame. Yeah. So, yeah, I I just thought it also made it such a lightning rod for something that so few people probably actually saw, but was so stupid on his part. Did you watch any of the show? I did not. Apparently, this is available on Twitch. All like four hours of it are there. No, I didn't. Did you? I watched a little bit. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I did. I, I actually watched the Jeff Cobb match, oh. and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, it was it was special. It was different. Um, it, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people were singing the praises of the announcers. I don't know if I felt the same way, but that's okay. I don't have to agree. <laughs> I think it's neat that that you know more shows are happening. I think it's neat New Japan's coming. I think New Japan is completely trashing their ability to be this unique, exciting thing for the Cow Palace by showing up in Ring of Honor, by showing up in Florida, by showing up, you know, weeks before their Cow Palace thing. It's just, it doesn't feel new and special and unique. Yeah. So, hey, uh, I think, I think it was a vanity project what Kenny was doing down there. And I, I, I get on one level the desire to cross promote the things you're passionate about. And maybe that's a way to find a new, um, a new stream of people. I, I just fear sometimes people are sometimes blinded by their passion or their interest in things. And I think, like you mentioned, the promoter who was allegedly tore Achilles heel and then is out there wrestling. I think that's a black eye to wrestling mm-hmm. every time that happens. Like if you're a promoter of an event, you shouldn't have to be the guy that is important. Like, just worry about putting a prevent together. It's hard enough to do that. So, that's my thought. Uh, what else can you tell me about some ratings data that you're examining here? I'm kind of curious what this is telling me. Uh, there's a point that we brought up uh, in, in our talks about all these increased TV rights and how, yeah, ratings have declined uh, mostly over these last five years of the current deal with NBC Universal, the parent company of the USA Network. But ever since Q3 2017, the, de- the decline in ratings has stopped. 
especially when, so I've put together some data here looking at Q1, Q2, Q3 over 2015, 16, 17, and 18. And you see double digit decreases in viewership uh, from quarter year to quarter year until you get to 2017 Q3 where the ratings actually went up by 2%. And then the next quarter versus the, the prior year quarter, ratings only went down 2%. And then in Q1 versus Q1 of the previous year, ratings actually went up 3% this year. And now Q2 has just completed. We're recording on July 1st. Q2 ended on June 30th. So the in 2008 versus the last Q2 uh, in 2017, ratings went down by only 1%. Whereas in, and that's in, raw, we're talking, right? This is WD raw, yes. Uh, whereas, in, in, you know, we've got decreases of 10% in the past, 12%, 14%, 10%, 17%, 12%, 13%. But something happened here after Q2, right? In, in Q3, 2017 and after, where now we've only got, you know, it's basically just stabilized. And I don't know so why. What, what is there? What was that? I don't know why. Um, is it because of a more serious presentation of women's wrestling? Is it because of the hero in all of us? Is it because of Joseph Campbell? Is it, is it because of Katniss Everdeen and Luke Skywalker? Is it because W has just reached that point where they've chased off all of these supposedly quote-unquote casual fans and now only the hardcores are left and only these people who will never turn away are left? I don't really believe that, as you can probably tell by my tone. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why. Is it maybe is it is the network a factor in that the network launched in February 2014 and the decline, I think, really accelerated at that point up until the middle of 2017 where it stabilized well or is it the brand split was it the the legacy of the brand split just kind of stabilized um once we got our feet underneath them maybe for what they were going to do it was a full and year after also, the brand split you're, you're saying and then, but didn't yeah. they also um when did they stop doing double pay-per-views i'm also wondering not that long ago yeah so not exactly that um yeah, I, I think a lot of it, too, is that when you look at the pure viewership number, you get a um, you get a cross of many different demographics when you think about it, because you have your young men, you have your young women, you have your old men, and you have your older women. Mm-hmm. And the, the female demographic can somewhat be collapsed into about a third of WWE's viewership. Sometimes it gets as high as 40%. Sometimes it's as low as a quarter. But 33 to 40% is the numbers. And what was interesting is, you know, um, I found this 1986 uh, WWF promo guide. Um, that like, you know, it was an advertisement for their syndication package and whatnot that David Bixon's band sent me from eBay. Yeah. And I went through it. And one part of it was they talk about what percentage of our audience is women. And they basically talk about it, something like 30% of their audience is women. In what year again? 1986. Mm -hmm. So it's 2018, 30 years later, and they're up to maybe 35%, 40%. But what we've seen somewhat has been in these different demographic groups, very different trends where the female audience has not fallen all that much. In fact, in in cases, it's somewhat... I won't even say it's increased a lot, but it hasn't fallen very much. The young male audience fell a lot, but the women started to make up for some of that. 
What, what, are you the looking older at the male audience has come and gone? Are you looking at a, a graph that's in the uh, in the Google Doc? What are you looking at? Um, I'm looking at the data in the Google Doc when I had looked at it before. Yeah, I just pasted a graph here. Um, that kind of illustrates what you're saying, and that the I, I, you know I'm 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 talking without looking at a graph. This is just me having looked at it before and what I noticed, and mm-hmm. you can tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but what I recall seeing was that the female numbers were actually rather steady, whereas the male numbers went down a lot. Yeah. And so in some ways you could say the, the women were, they were losing less women compared to the rate they lost young men. Yeah. On traditional television viewership, which I think you could, you could uh, make an argument that uh, everybody else declining, but this one demographic not declining as much probably reflects an increase in genuine interest from that demographic that's not declining at the rate that the others are especially when we're talking about in in an aging form of media like traditional television yeah so i i think you know i don't think there's one reason why things are better i think some of it is that you can only bleed for so long mm-hmm. and it wasn't like they were going to see another 10 percent drop you know what did happen in q3 2017 rise of braun Strowman. Jinder Mahal became W champion. I know. I was actually thinking about that one time when I looked at it. Not on Raw, well, which know. is which is no. the, the the main source of data that I'm using to to present this. But no, yeah, he was on SmackDown. So it, it's it's you know very difficult without true numbers to break down. And this was something we talked to Balagana about. Was you you try and predict? Oh, it's because Brock is champion, or it's because Ron did this or Roman did this or John Cena came back and it's hard to say part of the numbers that you're looking at here are boiled in a big raw 25 number for Q1 mm-hmm. yeah so true. you know the fact they're only 3% up and that's a giant raw 25 number mm-hmm. that probably helped them a ton and you can see that in the graph the big yeah. spike yeah I, I, and you, you take that out and maybe they're just at 0% in, you know difference yeah. then um, I, I guess maybe I think part one of, the- of it is WWE cares enough now to make sure that that number doesn't go down too much because mm-hmm. it's a year where they have to get a renewal. Yeah. And, and how about this? Like just when we talk about these conversations that people want to, want to have about how, Oh, it's because of Brock. Um, is that even the right way to look at it? Was that ever the right way to look at it? I don't know. I think, I, I, I guess I think that's not the right way to look at it today when, cause people want to talk about in, in, in this legacy type of way about how, Oh, so and so is a draw. So and so is a draw. Um, maybe that that sort of language better reflected the reality when you have pay per views, and I don't know, live events are like your number one source of of revenue, which they're not in W's case anymore. It's like number three. Uh, maybe that made more sense then. But this is you know in, in this world of TV rights and an OTT service with a subscription fee that just recurs every month. And uh, live events that have, you know, that are less important today than they were in prior eras. What sense does it even make today to try to talk about how so-and-so is a draw? I guess it's still true that there, I think there are stars. Stars still drive this business. But to try to talk about them as draws, to try to peel this onion away and say, okay, look at this right here. This shows that so-and-so is a draw. I guess we could still look at, and we don't have this, we, there's, if we could ever have access to some data about merchandise sales, that would be the, the strongest way to try to 
correlate star power to to drawing money. Uh, Are we, you just trying to give me a big out for my Chris Jericho is not a draw? Chris Jericho is a draw argument. I, th- I think so. I'm, I'm I'm trying to make the piece and get him to unblock you on Twitter. Is what I, is what my ultimate ulterior well, motive is I mean, here. I, I think you're very right that there's the debate today is more is so and so a star more than is so and so a draw. Mm-hmm. I will say when I've looked at house show data, you will see John Cena has a profound effect on house shows. Yeah. I did a Seeking and, Alpha article on this that, that clearly showed it. Well, yeah. He, he made a, a, a double-digit percent difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I would say John Cena is a draw and John Cena is a star. There's evidence that Brock Lesnar is a draw when it comes to house shows because he's so selective. And so it's tough to say... Would someone else with the same aura and schedule get the same amount of I draw? think in, in Brock Lesnar's case, I, I think it's harder because we have fewer data points in, in this current version of Brock Lesnar because he works only sporadic house shows. And the ones that he does are, are like always A markets, whereas it's easier to make the, this sort of argument about, about John all Cena. A markets. He worked Winnipeg. Okay. But I think but it's, yes, it's easier. mostly big cities. It's easier to make this and argument. usually he does seem to pop the city. Chicago seemed to go up when he was there. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even work the main event. Yeah. And I, that I think said, it's... you know, it, it looks like Sammy and Kevin might have been a draw in Montreal, but that doesn't mean, yeah. you know, the fact they could pop a single market a couple times is a big, is evidence that they are a draw or not a draw. Yeah. I will say someone like Jinder Mahal, no evidence that he was popping a market. No evidence that he was failing either. Just kind of there. I guess you can make the argument that, hey, look, Jinder Mahal didn't pop India. and They had to cancel one of the two shows that they had planned for India. That suggests to me, just based on the, the canceling of the show, the other show not, not drawing super well, considering that the, the TV time and the creative effort that was put into him, this fairly long title reign... I think that's a failure, but, uh, I mean, they were talking about how the sumo, was it sumo hall that they just ran, uh, for Tokyo mm-hmm. and you know, the AJ and Nakamura stuff they thought mm-hmm. was getting them to better attendance than they've had in years and going to Japan. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Nakamura couldn't even wrestle, mm-hmm. which is one of the wildest things you can even imagine right now. This whole story of Nakamura gets bit by a police dog and can't wrestle now. Why was that not our lead story today? It's because no one has any more details and it's like, it makes so little sense that Nakamura on the Japanese tour can't wrestle Yeah, because he got bit by a police dog in California before a raw show. Could it have been a hit? Could it have been a hit? Uh, did the new Japan have something to do with, with making sure the dog and Nakamura met? But I mean, what I mean by that is that it would be evidence to me that maybe Nakamura is a star in Japan which yeah. is, oh, yeah. you know, water is wet, but yeah, I, I, evidence there's, that, there's something know, to localize what, stars, I think, and hate global localization. Yeah. And I think the Jericho example is an interesting one because it almost suggests like Brent, Daniel Bryan, like, you know, obviously Cody Rhodes and other people that sometimes people are quote unquote draws or stars when they leave where they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause it's like, AJ Styles WWE has TNA. Tr- trouble getting 10,000 people yeah. for a show. But Cody and the Young Bucks pulled it off, mm-hmm. but they can't do it 50 times a year. Yeah. So the other part is like, it's going to be funny. It's kind of like when you look at the old box office draw line in the Observer Awards, 
where yeah. sometimes they'll be like, this so-and-so is a box office draw. And you'll be like, you're, you're not really comparing apples and oranges here. And of course, the ever-evolving criteria for Dave's box office draw gets us into a whole other debate about boxing counts when it's good for boxing and, and works for Dave's argument. And it doesn't when it doesn't. Um, and movie, you know, rock, maybe rock is the biggest box office draw in the world, but you That's know, right. it doesn't count when he's making movies. It's his, his, his box office numbers are reported in the observer. What the money that he's drawing in all those films. Uh, in a, from Australia, no less. Don't get me even started on that one. If it's, if it's um, in the observer, I'm, I'm, I'm counting it in my consideration when I vote for the observer awards, Yeah, which I don't that. always do, but, but so, you, so you went through the raw numbers, the SmackDown numbers. Uh, can you just quickly give me the, the 2017 Q3 and Q4 and the 2018 yeah. numbers? So we're going to start in Q3 2017, comparing it to Q3 the prior year, no difference. Q4 2017, up 3% from the, from the prior year quarter. Uh, so into the first quarter of this year, up 3% versus the prior year quarter. And then Q2, which just ended June 30th down 1% from the prior year quarter. So moral of this story, I think this is all just post brand split stuff. I didn't want to look at anything before the brand split for obvious reasons. Uh, and I, so I think the story here is no real change. Um, you could make a slightly positive argument here in, in favor of W's performance with these, these SmackDown TV viewership numbers, because it's, you've got two quarters that are up 3%, two quarters that are down almost nothing. So, yeah, I think, I think when you're, when you're flying, skidding down a hill <laughs> and everyone else is racing past you, plummeting, and you are, are barely skidding down the hill, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a successful position Yeah. in that. I think a lot of places are eroding a lot of viewership and WWE is retaining. Yeah. And I, I think some of that comes from, I do think they figured out their digital media strategy a little bit better mm-hmm. and that probably is helping them. Mm-hmm. I think some of it comes from. They wanted USA Network to like them, and USA Network wanted to like them. And that means a lot to them, is that you can do a lot of things to help kind of with the positioning, the programming, the promotion, if you have a partner that really wants to pursue at that time. And I think a lot of it is that it's WWE gains and losses are too quickly correlated to the week-to-week behavior and too little correlated to the overall um, general attitude that fans have towards it, which is, I think the NXT goodwill has driven them up. I think the the women's revolution has driven them up, and I think pushing some new stars has driven them up. Has driven and even things has like driven what up? Daniel Bryan has driven what up? The SmackDown TV viewership, both both Raw and SmackDown. Okay, is that I I think I think those. Those are basically headwinds stopping them from eroding faster. So what, what's the NXT factor there? You think that people are excited to see their favorite NXT stars debut on the main roster, and that's driving interest? And I think it's harder for people to say WWE sucks and <laughs> doesn't know how to wrestle when you have NXT out there. Uh-huh. Because people do think like, oh, well, I'll watch NXT before a pay-per-view. And then they see they start to get familiarized with some of these characters and these people, and then I think it just creates a better goodwill towards wrestling. Yeah. And I think we can say as a as like as far as a business strategy in 2016 to do this brand split, uh, th- this company misses out on maybe hundreds of millions of dollars if they don't do that, right? Like if if it were up to me, 
in my personal taste, I would never want a brand split. And I would say, no, keep them together. Uh, but because they did that and because they moved it to live on Tuesdays, uh, the SmackDown show becomes way more valuable and it ends up becoming something they can sell to Fox uh, for all those hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, it's, it's going to give them a ton of money for the next five years at least. Yeah, I mean, I met a guy last night, uh, actually in the afternoon, and he was just telling me, he's like, oh, you know, I'm a big old school wrestling fan. I subscribed to the network so I could watch old wrestling. Yeah. And I started watching NXT. And he was just telling me about how much he liked NXT. And then he was telling me about how we watched the pay-per-views. He's like, oh, well, Money in the Bank was good and this and that. And it was like, he he wasn't watching the week-to-week programming, but the pay-per-views got him connected. And I have to think that there's something to that, which is we're in this OTT culture where you can consume and you can retain in a different way. And so in some ways, when you have that goodwill and you're going to keep a WWE Network subscription, then you are probably more likely I think anything that keeps WWE Network as part of your bundle makes mm-hmm. you more likely to be a Raw or SmackDown viewer. Yeah. You know, it's probably you're probably ten times more likely than your average person, right? So, so he watches NXT all... and he watches the pay per views, but not so much the weekly programming. He didn't. He yeah. didn't. But just kind of that idea of you think of the customer profile, the t- sort of person who spends money on the WWE Network mm-hmm. is ten to fifty times more likely to watch Raw or SmackDown on any given week. But who wants to put them through that anguish? A person put themselves through that anguish. What's that? But who wants to put themselves through that anguish of watching Raw and SmackDown, of dedicating five hours of their weekly life to that? But now imagine if uh, someone by the name of Paul Levesque McMahon were were in charge of the creative of those television programmings and, and was able to, you know, build up this goodwill in those main roster programs, just like that goodwill has been built up in the programs like NXT. Uh, maybe Maybe more people would watch it maybe the TV rights would be worth even more than they're already worth. It's possibility. And that's why I think marketing plays a much bigger and silent role in all of this. And uh, I think sometimes we, we underestimate the value of the network promotion and the network working well with you. And so that's why it's so important to people that, you know, Fox sports wants to play ball and that USA network is going to be desperate to do something here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last piece of this is, and I've brought this up a bunch of times, Fox is buying an unknown quantity. They are thinking they can make lots of money on advertising rights for wrestling. Maybe they will. It's easy to believe this if you don't own the property. It's much harder for USA Network to go and say, yeah, I want to spend 400 or 500 million on this because they already know what they, they can get. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say this could end up a buyer beware situation where Fox might have some regret when they suddenly realize whether this is a real thing or whether it's not. You think Fox is looking at this with bravado of like, okay, well, USA Network was only able to to sell ads at this rate. We're Fox. We're going to be able to sell them at even more. Yeah, and and the UFC example may or may not be giving them hope or fear. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear such different things about people that USA, I mean, that UFC supposedly was getting, you know, three, four times the ad rate of what WWE got. Mm-hmm. That said, other people say, look at the crappy programming uh, for advertisers for UFC. So I've heard both sides talking. So it's very hard for me to know. So y- you will judge them by their acts. Let's let's watch to see what Fox gets. Mm-hmm. And my thinking is they'll do a good job. But, you know, if, if WWE gets the boot to Fox Sports 1, that will tell you a lot about the confidence and the over overcompensation that they have. Yeah. In this world, we're seeing, you know... 
crazy deals being written wasn't even like Bellator going to that like DAZN network. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It's like, you know, we're seeing people spend good money after bad money on the, in the name of exposure. So by that comparison, SmackDown on a broadcast television is a much better known quantity mm-hmm. versus spending $100 million over several years to put some MMA second-rate organization on some OTT service that very few people are going to experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's good demographics and bad demographics uh, pressure going on in WWE, and it's going to be a question of how they ride the ride the wave and whether or not something like total divas and total bellas has anything to do with what is changing in their, their product. I'll be very curious to ever see if they really can come back with some research or some evidence about that. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to WrestleNomics radio. We've been talking all about revenue. We've been talking about ratings. We got some graphs in the uh, document this week that are pretty colorful and pretty and interesting. We got tons of article links. We got, um, our notes, from the conference call that we did the other day and lots more. If you want to be a premium subscriber, you go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, $5 a month. Yes. If, if you're and a fan of the color mauve, this is the week for you. <laughs> if you're a fan of the television show mauve, well, that was mod. Mod. Yes. Yeah. Diff- different thing entirely. We'll be reviewing that next week. Um, speaking of reviews, I promised a review. I'm going to give a quick review. Oh, good. Did good. you watch Mohawk? I, I did not. I was busy researching for uh, for for the show. Mohawk. I watched it. It's on Netflix. Uh, Luke Harper mm-hmm. himself, Mister Jonathan Huber, mm. as he's credited in the film, is in it. It is the story, um, kind of Civil War times, post Civil War. This is a full feature length movie. Pardon me, full feature length. Yep. Yeah. About ninety minutes. Not a long movie. Not a not a two hours and fifteen out movie. Not a seventy minute short movie it's a nice 90 minute movie um it's been described as a horror film a lot i would say it's a horror film in the sense that there's blood and guts i wouldn't necessarily say it's like you know a friday the 13th horror film you know this is more like a cross between reality like a historical drama and a little bit of of psychopath behavior type things so um very interesting uh Really neat to see a film done in Western New York, you know, as someone who grew up there. It's it's kind of amazing to see it all on film. This was shot oh, in Western you know, New York, too? I believe so. Really? Yeah, I didn't I know they that. shot it. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And it's about, you know, the Mohawk tribe and things, so it, it makes sense for it to be from New York. I wasn't booked in this. Why didn't they call me? I'm in Western New York. Would have been minimal travel uh, expense. Some Some actors and actresses from outside, mm. uh, you know, it wasn't all local actors or anything of that nature. No. Um, some good performances put in there, uh, a lot of really good special effects. I was, I was actually very impressed with the special effects. Some of the gory scenes were very well done. Uh, and the continuity I thought would be a pain because there's blood and there's dirt and there's just so much going on there that um, the three weeks of shooting must've been tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Harper's performance. If you saw him in that USA network show, I'm trying to think damnation, I think was the name of the show. Yeah. And he played like a carny wrestler. He he's kind of given the same line read from that. So it's I wouldn't say it's the most animated version of him as someone who's who's seen him outside of wrestling before and will will say that he can be a kind of animated, fun, loving guy. Yeah. Um but it's it's a 
good performance from him. He does a good job. He was recovering from knee surgery at the time. So they kind of throw a brace on him and they just treat it like that's part of his war injury. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a uh, impressive kind of cover for a real healing. And I can't imagine how uncomfortable it was him going up and down these hills in Western New York uh, right after having surgery. But he did it. Um, it's a uh, it's a it's not a film for everyone. But uh, if you enjoy this kind of film, it's it's got really good music got really good blood and special effects it's kind of about you know the the insanity and the passions of the people of the time and their beliefs on who's responsible for what mm-hmm. and so of course it's the combination of the british the americans and the native americans so i i uh i had a fun time watching it i thought the the makeup was especially very good and it was it was a, a fun thing and it's on us netflix hopefully it's in other countries too I hope people do watch it. I, I think the filmmaker is, you know, he's an independent guy and it's really exciting to see something like this on Netflix. If WWE gives a damn, they should be pushing it a little bit themselves because uh, I think it's, you know, if they really want to promote the fact that they are they make independent movies. contractors, yeah. they should support them when they do independent contract gigs like this. Mm-hmm. But they're really not independent contractors. We know that. We do. If you enjoy the show, if you disagree with the show, you can hit us up on Twitter, WrestleNomics, WrestleNomics at gmail.com. You can find me at Mookie You can find Brandon at Brandon Thurston. Mm-hmm. Brandon has an Instagram account I do. for his grappler school and for himself. Graps Anonymous on Instagram. Farmer, I think it's yeah, Farmer underscore Thurston on Instagram. Wrestling Twitter is dead long live wrestling Instagram. And uh, we're looking forward to... Uh, Hearing from everybody else and having another week of, of interesting headlines popping up. Um, we did a hell of an interview with Dave Lagana. I do hope people tune in, check it out. You know, if you've never done Patreon before, they actually don't bill you till the end of the month. So if you sign up, you listen, and you are so disappointed with the show, cancel, DM me, I will give you a refund. And I do hope people listen to it. Dave goes very deep into his theories about content creation and social media recognition in today's culture. And he's a guy who worked for WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor. He's now with NWA, of course. And he's doing a hell of a lot of video wrestling production. When it comes to independent wrestling media, he's right there. And he's on the front lines. And it's fun to talk to a guy like that because he's got a lot to say about everything. Mm-hmm. We, we asked him, can we get 90 minutes? And he said, can we do two hours? Because mm-hmm. he was so excited to just kind of talk with other people who are also passionate about things like business but also the changing and evolving media ecosystem and culture that we live in today new media new media and the conference call that we covered i thought was awesome because we played a ton of clips and if you did not listen to the call which is 99 percent of you out there this will give you a flavor for what they were talking about what they were doing and most importantly give you a window into the insight on michelle wilson and george barrios who are two of the biggest decision makers in the world when it comes to professional wrestling, of which probably less than 1% of fans know who they are. Right. Then we inducted them into the WrestleNomics Hall of Fame. Brandon inducted them. I unilaterally inducted them into the WrestleNomics <laughs> Hall of Fame. And the we, WrestleNomics uh, Twitter account uh, inducted them. And, and who um, was behind it at that yes. time? We'll find out. And that Patreon uh, exclusive show is uh, co-branded as a WrestleNomics Hall of Fame induction ceremony. 
<laughs> it was a good show, and uh, we put out some good content this month, and so I'm really proud of that. So I, I hope people support it, you know, with their dollars, with their feet, with their votes, with whatever with they can do. Uh, happy July 4th to people out there. Happy Canada Day to other people out there. Yeah. And uh, happy uh, back to work on a Monday to everybody else. At least we get Wednesday off, though. At least. Yes. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.